1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Good morning, everyone. Hey, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers, which is a reminder that i got to call my mother. might be long distance, but it's the right thing to do. I'm sure she'd love to hear from me. So, so uh, just a couple of uh, announcements. So, oh, and I want to mention, you know, hello to everyone, and if there's any visitors here with us, you're we're glad to have you, and those of you who are watching at home, we're glad to have you as well. Uh, just want to mention that Wayne Turner is going to be leading our thoughts tonight, our discussion class, so I want to invite everyone out to come out for that, and then next Sunday will be John Muller. So I think this is very special because it's our elders that are leading the discussion classes, and I think we should try to be there for that. Uh, I want to mention that uh, che, uh, we've booked Che's flight. Che will be coming on May 27th to June 3rd. So it's a Saturday to a Saturday. So at the end of the month. So Che will be here with, with us for that last Sunday of the month. Unfortunately, I got thinking about it. It's like the Carmen, Ladies Carmen Retreat is on the same weekend. So some of you won't be here. So uh, that's unfortunate. But she is coming for that last Sunday, that, that week, that weekend and, and that week. So she will be here with us. So I just want to mention that. So. so this morning we're going to continue in our Roman series simply because I think that we need to try to hurry up and get through it. We're almost near the end, and we would like to finish it, and we'd like to move on to something else. So it's important that we get into the text and try to study it. So we're looking at Romans chapter 14 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 down to verse 10 for our lesson. In the previous chapters, Paul had addressed the poor attitude that the Gentile Christians had. In chapter 14, he turns his attention to another matter. And this matter could still be between the Gentiles and Jewish converts. However, it's also possible that this matter in chapter 14 that we're going to look at has to do with new Gentile converts who were obviously new in their faith and had very little knowledge about spiritual things. And so mature Gentile Christians getting after new Gentile converts who didn't have the same kind of knowledge. So there was a lot of Gentiles who came out of religious sects. They used to have the mystery religions back then. And so they're coming into the church. They have strict food laws. And whatever it may be, wherever the case may be, whether it's Gentiles and Jews or Gentiles and Gentiles, it is the situation that Paul is addressing that's important. Important for us to understand and important for us today because there's a message there for us. So let's start by reading verses 1 to 3 of Romans chapter 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Once one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. 
So there were two different groups here, very different groups here. As one commentator by the name of James D. Bales said, he said, if they were to have fellowship with one another, they must act by the law of love. Doubtless some were too narrow in their view and some were too broad. And so Paul wanted to apply the principle of love. We covered that in the last few lessons. We talked about the principle of love. We talked about how the law, when the law had come to the Israelites, the whole point was to teach them how to love one another. And that was the main thrust of the law. And so he's trying to to apply this principle of love here. And he wants them to understand. These Gentile Christians that Paul was speaking to were to give this, this other group of Christians love. They were to show love in regards to the things that we're talking about here in the text. Uh, They're not to give them a hard time for wanting to follow some things that they thought were beneficial to their way of life. It was a matter of conscience. We're not talking about biblical matters here. It's not about biblical things that these mature Christians were getting after these other Christians about. So if a person wanted to eat meat, then he was free to do so. If a person didn't want to eat meat, he's free to do so as well. And it's the same for us today. If we want to eat meat, we can eat meat. If we don't want to, we don't have to. We can choose certain lifestyles which do not put us in direct violation of God's word. God won't be upset with us if we want to be a vegetarian, for example. You want to eat vegetables and that's all you want to eat, vegetables and fruits? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing biblical about it. There's nothing unbiblical about it. And so, God won't be upset with us if we choose to live a certain lifestyle that does not contradict his word. God knows all things. God knows our hearts. God knows our reasons for doing the things that we do. So, at first one says, do not pass judgment on disputable matters. Well, I like the English Standard Version here. And look what it says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Not to quarrel over opinions. So that's what's going on in the text here in Romans chapter 14. They're arguing about opinions. They're not arguing about biblical matters. And so Paul's needing to to get after these mature Christians and tell them, look, you need to stop doing that. So Paul was talking about small matters that have nothing to do with putting our souls in jeopardy. These Christians were not to pass judgment on this other group of Christians just because they didn't want to eat meat. Think about it. Getting after them, you shouldn't eat meat. We're not to judge people according to our own lifestyles and habits, not even our own little traditions that we make and we keep. Not Obviously not referring to religious traditions, but I'm talking about little things that we do, our little habits. Let me give you an example of a little tradition that we do. Even the way that we do our order of worship is a tradition. If we were to take the Lord's Supper and put it at the end of the worship service, would we get upset about that? Is that a biblical pattern that we're following? Or is that just the way we do things? How would you feel if we put the Lord's Supper the very first thing that we did as soon as we arrived? We're talking about little things that we do, traditions. We're not talking about biblical matters. Paul is not talking about biblical matters here in the text, in the section here. So we're not to judge people according to our own lifestyles, our habits, our traditions that we keep. At this point, I think it's important to show scripturally Because he's talking specifically here about meats, eating meats. And so I think it's important to show scripturally that all foods are clean in the eyes of God. They're okay to eat. So in Leviticus chapter 11, we see the kind of animals and strict instructions the Lord gave about them. So if you were to go there, you could see the kind of animals they were to eat, kind of animals they were not to eat, what was considered clean, what was considered unclean. 
So those who were God's people at that time were to follow these instructions. They were not to eat certain meat. Well, when Christ came to earth, he changed all of that. He changed those instructions. So take a look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. And follow along with me, if you will. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So notice what he says. What was clean was considered holy. What was unclean was considered unholy. And then in chapter 11, the people were told what meats were clean and unclean. In other words, what was holy to eat and what was unholy to eat. So they're given specific instructions. But then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus changes all that. So we look at the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 to 19. And hopefully that's not too hard for you to read because there's a lot of words there, and I probably should have divided that up into two slides. But Mark, chapter 7. Verses 14 to 19. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. All foods clean. So nothing we eat today is considered unholy. It might be very, very unhealthy, but it's not unholy. And i got to tell you, I love my chips. But I, I have to be careful and try not to eat too much. But it's not unholy. I, I can eat what I want and I don't have to worry. A clear conscience. I can eat foods. But when Paul told these Gentile Christians to accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters, Paul was telling them, if these Christians don't want to eat meat because it will defile their consciences, then leave them alone and don't get after them. It is between them and God. That is what Paul was saying here. He's trying to get through to these mature Christians to smarten up. Mature Christians should be careful not to defile a weak Christian's conscience in matters that have nothing to do with God's word. We must be careful to be accepting of another Christian's culture, his customs, his traditions. Think about it. How, think of how diverse this congregation is. How many different nationalities are represented? How many different customs, traditions that you have that have nothing to do with scripture? There's nothing wrong with those things. God doesn't forbid us these things. As long as it doesn't contradict his word, it is okay in the eyes of God. So we must be careful to be accepting of another Christian's culture, customs, and traditions. We should be accepting of Christians even if they don't do things the same way that we do. Referring to worship, not referring to worship and following the Bible, but everything else. We cannot lay burdens on other Christians that God doesn't lay on us. We have to remember and we have to be careful what we do. What we say is okay and what is not okay. If it's according to God's word, that's a different story. So weak faith here doesn't mean a false faith. As the scriptures say, even someone with faith as small as a mustard seed could enter heaven. And so people don't have to be very strong and mature in their faith to get into heaven. Though God would like us to strive for that goal. Of course God wants us to be strong in our faith. 
wants us to be mature. But we don't have to be at the time when we go to heaven. It just needs to be a real and genuine faith. Let me say that again. It has to be a real and genuine faith that you have. We really need to believe in Jesus. We really need to believe in his word and want to follow him. And we need to be genuine about it. You know, it can't be just an afterthought. God has to come first. His word has to come first. It has to be real and genuine. So now we come back to our text of Romans chapter 14. Let's take a look at verse 4 now. He says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we are not to act like anyone's master. The Lord is master over us. The Lord is the master. The Lord is the one that we follow. We all follow. So Paul made it clear to these Christians that they were not to act like a master over these other Christians and had no right to tell them what they could or could not eat. To his own master he stands or falls, Paul said. No one can presume to speak for God. No one is in the position of God. Only God can tell us these things. So who are you to judge someone else's servant according to your own standards, is what Paul's saying. How dare you? It's not according to the word of God. You're doing it according to what you think, your opinions, your standards. You're not to do that. Paul was saying that they belong to God, and so do we. We all belong to God. And we have to remember, if we're going to tell someone else what to do, not according to scriptures, but according to what we think, that we're putting ourselves in the place of God, and we're not to do that. We all belong to God if we are Christians because we were bought at a price. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Notice something, though. Notice the encouragement at the end of that verse, though. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Notice what it says at the end of verse 4. It said, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we see encouragement. God is able to make us stand. God can and will give us the strength that we need if we are genuine as we should be. But here's something that's interesting. The Greek word translated as able means powerful, capable, mighty, and strong. Think of these words. Powerful, capable, mighty, and strong. God is powerful to make us stand. God is capable to make us stand. God is mighty and strong to make us stand. It should be comforting to us to know that God is there to help us. God can help us stand. We need to believe that. We need to trust in him. Verse 5 now. So Paul said, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Many, many commentators agree that what is in view here were private acts of refraining from meats and of observing certain days which had not been bound by the Lord. So these were things that Jesus did not bind on anyone, but they were not in direct violation of God's word. And so they were simply lifestyle choices, created traditions, etc. These special days mentioned were obviously not idolatrous, otherwise Paul would have talked about it. In other words, there was no problem with these days that they were observing, otherwise Paul would have said something about it. They were okay. So some of these new Christians might have come into the church with strange ideas, like, for example, like not eating meat or observing special days. So, for example, let me think of, let me mention this, for example. If some people wanted to get up early on a Saturday, let's throw this out here. Say somebody wanted to get up early on a Saturday and almost kind of have a, a worship service of their own. They decide they want to do prayer, they want to do singing, they want to have Bible study class, 
They want to do all these things on a Saturday, three or four hours put aside, whatever it may be. Then they are free to do so, as long as they don't think everyone else should do the same thing. So if somebody wants to devote time to the Lord, special time put aside, they can do that, and there's nothing wrong with it, as long as they don't bind that on others. So that's just one example of what he's talking about here. Uh, As the last sentence of verse 5 says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And that's key. You should be fully convinced in your mind of what you're doing. Otherwise, we will be in trouble. We need to be fully convinced in our minds of what we're doing, that it is according to the Lord's will. That the Lord is okay with what we're doing. So take a look at verses 6 to 8 now. He says, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We need to be convinced in our minds about the things we do. And we do all to the Lord, or for the Lord. I prefer the word for. So as we said in a previous lesson, we are always presenting ourselves to the Lord every day. And we need to stand before him convinced that what we're doing is okay. We belong to the Lord, which means we are accountable to him in regards to our actions and our daily living. So we we live for the Lord, we live to the Lord, we die for the Lord, we we die to the Lord. So verse 9. For this very reason... Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and both the dead and the living. So Paul was talking about having a clear conscience before God. And that's what he's been talking about all this time. And he's talking about these more mature Christians telling them, stop, you're defiling the minds of these new converts. You're, you're hurting them. You're not helping them by what, what you think, by what your opinion might be. So he's trying to help them to understand. And so... We know from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, that the blood of Jesus cleanses our consciences from acts that leads to death, or at least it should. And we should have confidence in the blood of Jesus to take away our sins. We need to have confidence in that blood, that it's really taking away our sins every day. This, in turn, should take away our guilt. This is what he died for, for this very reason, Paul said. Jesus died on the cross so that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. He died so that we may come to him to receive forgiveness and belong to him, but also that we can come to God with a clear conscience, something that the Israelites weren't able to do. That was one of the big reasons Jesus came. We could trust in the sacrifice of Christ and have a clear conscience. Say, okay, I know I'm right with God because God died for me. God shed his blood for me. I've been washed by that blood. I'm okay with God, and I know it. My mind knows it. I have a clear conscience. So Jesus is Lord of lords and kings, king of kings. He is Lord of all. He died and he came back to life so that we might have that clear conscience that we need as we stand before God. Confidence knowing that we're saved. And we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ and we're bound to act conscientiously. So getting to heaven is a matter of living with a clear conscience before God. And this means confidence that you are doing what is right according to God's word and your conscience. It's not just about doing things according to the word, but according to your conscience. That means if you want to do something in the back of your mind and you're not sure if it's right, then you probably shouldn't do it. If you're not sure, then don't do it. That's clear. 
you're worried that God won't be pleased with you, then don't do it. There's obviously an issue with your conscience. So each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, Paul said a while ago. Everything we do in life, we do for the Lord, we do unto the Lord. Take a look, if you will, verse 14. We go down to verse 14. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Clear conscience. Make sure that whatever you're doing, you've got a clear conscience, that you really feel that this is okay with the Lord. Then down verses 22 and 23 at the end of the chapter. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So that last part is something that we should be concerned with. We need to be careful. Paul's getting at the heart of the matter, the human conscience. He wanted to make that point clear as he addressed this issue between these two groups in the church in Rome. The issue here wasn't about doing something contrary to God's word. It was about doing something that was wrong against one's own conscience. It feels good to have a clear conscience, doesn't it? When you're sitting here right now and you're worshiping and you're listening, do you have a clear conscience? If so, doesn't it feel good to have a clear conscience before God? To be able to worship God and know that he's pleased with you, that he's okay with you? It should. And that's what we want, or that's what we should want before God. Whether we want to be vegetarians or we want to observe some day, some special day, put it aside, without it being in direct violation of God's word, that's up to you. That's your choice. It's between you and God. God's concern for us is that our worship to him is real and with a clear conscience. That's what God cares about. These were the two problems that we could see with God's people from the past, the Israelites. Their worship was in vain, it wasn't real, and they did not worship with a clear conscience, as you can see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. So, we see that a problem is being corrected here. It's something that we need to take notice of. One of the things that we learn about the Old Testament, about the God's people of the past, the Israelites, are, is that we are to learn from them. We are to learn from their mistakes and not repeat it. And so their worship was not real, and they did not have a clear conscience. We have to be careful to have genuine faith that should be real, and we should have a clear conscience. So when we think of these Gentile Christians, these new converts, Paul was getting after the more mature, mature Christians to leave the new converts alone before they hurt their consciences. So they had clear consciences while they were eating only vegetables. They weren't eating meat. They were clear. And so these guys had to leave them alone. Let them eat their vegetables, let them eat their fruits, let them worship God in peace. And so, these mature Christians had convinced them that they were wrong in what they were doing. It would have possibly defiled their consciences. They could have struggled with the idea of, well, what have I done? Think about if you tell someone, you say, oh, what you're doing is wrong, but it's not biblical. And this is a new Christian. They don't know better. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't understand you tell them something that is not biblical, but it's just a matter of opinion, and you get after them, and you say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You imagine how that new Christian will struggle from that point onward, how their mind is defiled, questioning everything after that, saying, oh, I don't know if this is right or this is wrong. Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not. And Imagine what you could do to a Christian. And that's what's going on here in the text. Paul's getting after these people. Look, look what you're doing. Don't do that. And so... As Christians, we need to act conscientiously in regard to both what we do in life and with other Christians. We don't want to be guilty of causing someone else to fall away. I don't want to be guilty of that. 
I want to be careful what I do. I want new Christians to be strong in their faith. I want them to have a love for the Lord that is unimaginable. I want them to grow. And so I don't want to do anything that's going to stop that from happening. Take a look at verse 10 now, the last verse. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So everyone is going to stand before God when Jesus returns. And we don't want to be guilty of looking down on a brother or sister in Christ. We don't want to be guilty of judging them. So let me ask these two questions. Are we allowed to judge each other? If so, how do we do that? And by what standard do we judge? We have to remember God's word judges people, not us. We can't judge someone and tell them they're going to hell. That's not our job. God is the one that tells people if they're going to hell or not, not us. But God's word judges people. God is the righteous judge, and that decision belongs to him alone. We can, however, use God's word to gauge and judge behavior. And so, obviously, God has a lot to say about our behavior as a Christian. Let me show you what I mean. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And take a look what it says here in these verses. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are to use God's word to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train. God's word is the standard, not our opinions and thoughts about things. God's word contains everything we need for godliness, and if we live according to the word, we'll be blessed for it. That's what God tells us. Remember that scriptures say that God's word will judge us in the end. Scriptures tell us that God's word will judge us in the end when Christ returns. So we need to use the word to help each other to stay on track. It's important. So thinking back on our text now, remember these things from this lesson. Do not judge your brother or sister in Christ. That's God's job. Let your faith and worship to God be real and genuine. And finally, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all have to give an account of ourselves to God. So make sure you live your life with a clear conscience and in accordance with God's word. If you are here today and you are not in Christ, I'd like to invite you to do that today. Come forward as we sing.